This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, December 19th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Pawan Kalyan made a name for himself as a movie star in India. Now he's leading a political movement. He spoke to the Daily Signal during a visit to Washington, D.C., and we'll play that interview in today's episode. Plus, some people are arguing that human extinction might actually be a good thing. Seriously, in the New York Times. We'll discuss. But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. The White House may be signaling a willingness to accept a spending bill without their requested funding for a border wall. Here's Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Tuesday. Point the Senate's thrown out a lot of ideas. Uh, we're disappointed in the fact that they've yet to actually vote on something and pass something. So when they do that, we'll make a determination on whether or not we're going to sign that. In the meantime, we're looking at every avenue available to us possible. The president's asked every one of his cabinet secretaries to look for funding that can be used uh, to protect our borders and for the give the president the ability to fulfill his constitutional obligation to protect the American people by having a secure border. So we're looking at the other options. In the meantime, we'll see what the Senate does, and we'll let you know when we have an announcement on that front. The deadline for a spending bill is this Friday. Previously, President Trump had said he had to get at least $5 billion for the wall in any spending bill. Well, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn expected to be sentenced on Tuesday, but the judge decided to postpone it until after Flynn had finished cooperating with special counsel Robert Mueller. Flynn pleaded guilty last year to lying to the FBI about the subject of conversations that he had with Russian officials after the 2016 election. In the courtroom Tuesday, Judge Emmett Sullivan grilled Flynn, saying, quote, All along, you were an unregistered agent of a foreign country while serving as the national security advisor to the president of the United States. Arguably, that undermines everything that flag over here stands for, end quote. He also said, arguably, you sold your country out. Flynn will likely be sentenced sometime in 2019. Representative Martha McSally, who narrowly lost the Senate race to Democrat Kristen Sinema in November, is going to become a senator by filling the John McCain seat. While Senator John Kyle had been in that seat recently, he had announced he intended to step down at the end of the year. On Tuesday, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey announced McSally would be the new replacement. Well, thanks to a new rule issued by the Justice Department, bump stocks, which allow guns to fire much more rapidly, will become illegal. Acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker said, quote, We are faithfully following President Trump's leadership by making clear that bump stocks, which turn semi-automatics into machine guns, are illegal, and we will continue to take illegal guns off of our streets, end quote. Gun owners will have 90 days until after the rule is published to destroy or turn in their bump stocks to the nearest ATF office. Speaking at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida Tuesday, Vice President Mike Pence had some big news about the U.S. and space. It is my privilege to announce that today, President Trump will direct the Department of Defense to establish a combatant command that will oversee all our military activities in space. This space command will be the 11th combatant command in the U.S. military, joining the Indo-Pacific Command, the European Command, but also it will serve alongside other what are known as functional commands like Strategic Command and Special Operations Command, and it will be led by a four-star flag officer. 
It will establish unified control over all our military space operations. The Space Force, which will be the sixth military branch, is set for launch in 2020. Well, after years as a private charity, the Trump Foundation is closing. New York Attorney General Barbara Underwood announced that it would be shutting down as her office continues to investigate the foundation's conduct. Underwood filed a lawsuit against the Trump Foundation last June, alleging that it had used funds illegally, including through unlawful coordination with the Trump campaign. The Trump Foundation agreed to dissolve under the supervision of a judge and to disperse its remaining funds to other charities. What's our nation's top problem? Well, nearly one in five Americans would say government. That's according to a new Gallup poll. The second biggest concern is immigration, with 16% listing it. In third and fourth place, we're unifying the country and race relations, with 8% and 7%, respectively, listing those as top issues. Well, up next, our colleagues Rob Bluey and Ginny Montalbano sit down with Indian actor and politician Pawan Kalyan, along with his political ally, Nadendla Manohar. If you enjoy listening to the Daily Signal podcast, would you consider a year-end gift to support our work? Your gift enables us to keep doing groundbreaking reporting and the best conservative policy analysis on today's most critical issues. Just go to dailysignal.com slash donate to make your tax-deductible gift today. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. We're joined today by Pawan Kalyan, an Indian film actor, producer, director, screenwriter, and politician. Thank you. Thank you very much. He's joined in our studio by Nadendla Manohar, who joined the Janasena Party in India earlier this year. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. You've had a busy trip to Washington, D.C. from India. Absolutely. Tell us what brings you to Washington. Well, we, uh, as a political party, we thought we must reach out and let people know that we are also in the business of promoting trade and investment and strengthen the relationship between the two countries. So over a period of time, India and US have been very close to each other, but we need um, political support and people like us coming here to understand better practices in government and also to get some important takeaways that we can go back and implement back in our country. Um, it's been a very interesting uh, two-day trip to Washington, D.C. We've met with a lot of um, senators and congressmen and, of course, um, the Secretary of uh, Housing. Some of the points that we discussed really impressed us because as a young political party, uh, we have to build a vision and uh, something for the future. And the takeaways were excellent in our opinion, and this is something that's going to help our country and our people. Let me ask you... Uh, we have listeners who probably are wondering, why should America care about what's happening in India and and have stronger relations? So uh, what message would you give to them? You have to understand, uh, uh, the world population, one-sixth is the world population is in India. So what happened, India is the largest democracy. What happens in India, eventually it will reflect back in other parts of the world. So you cannot ignore what's happening in India. It's very much, uh, it's a quite essential for the rest of the world to... Uh, know about it, and eventually it will influence. If some issue happens out there, here you can see the great workforce of Indians are there. So eventually it will hit the economy in very crucial sectors of uh, uh, business here. So you mentioned trade as one. I know security is another relationship that's important between the United States and India. What other things would you like to see the two countries work more collaboratively together on? You know, 
all around the world right now the biggest thing is employment right so you know india has always supported the the drive for technology and innovation in uh, america a lot of our young engineers have been coming here they've contributed the time and effort into making some of the successful technology programs and missions out here so i think we also need to focus on agriculture because that's the biggest employer back in india and some of the best practices the good technology that this country has been uh, building upon is something that we can draw upon and take it back to india and see if we can implement those the new areas of uh, business which is very keen for a growing nation like india is clean energy waste management and of course on the security uh, side uh, we had to deal with uh, terrorism like usa also had to deal with uh, that issue and we have collaborated very well on several um, specific programs but i think uh, the government of india and the government of america have come forward to sign agreements which enable the transfer of such technology which earlier would be given only to nato countries so india is uh, the third country after japan and korea in asia to get that benefit uh, where sensitive technology which was available for security purposes is now being uh, transferred to india Mr. Kalyan, can you tell us about the journey from being an Indian filmmaker and producer and actor to now a political leader? Um it maybe uh, first of all I never thought of uh, to become an actor so Disney pushed me to become an actor. But my heart was always uh, uh looking towards to work for my country. I don't know I never knew which way to go. But I think eventually it, uh, uh, the path led to get into politics. And the reason was it's about the public policies uh, if it is affecting a common citizens and we are, i'm not able to i was i was just being a helpless guy or being an armchair thinker armchair activist and i was sick and tired of it constantly that inner dialogue is uh, killing uh, it is killing one to one point it was driving me mad either you do you do it i sit at home and do films but i could not uh, keep quiet so to answer to answer my conscience i've taken a call just plunged into politics And how would you describe the mission of the party that you've started? It's about India is a very complex country. Uh, it's we don't speak one language. We are not of uh, one ethnic group. We are uh, hundreds of ethnic groups and we have uh, hundreds of dialects and we have we are close to have around 30 40 uh, languages uh, different languages and different dialects. Um we have a lot of cultural clashes. So all these things put together, we have to really steer India, and somehow the destiny is, uh, we find certain commonality amidst all these contrasting uh, issues here, and that's what uh, interests us, and that's what we want to bond it further, because if we don't work it, work towards it, and a lot of uh, issues would uh, crop up in the decades to come, and as a part of our journey, as a part of our commitment. So we brought all this uh we brought all this and uh, normal people ignore it because why if a particular issue has to arise and the states might get divided into further into smaller fra- fragments segment uh, so we want to make sure so we brought all this into one fold into the seven principles and to unify because you don't uh, i don't know how much you have an idea about india we i don't know the rest of the world does not have it we have a caste system and we have a religion we have a regional issues so we brought everything in together and also this is one principle we brought into the party uh fit to bind india and the second would be 
predominant, I mean, development with the ecological awareness. So this is the main core which we are looking forward to. This is the fundamental which we party was formed. Just to just to add to what he said, I mean, you know, uh, most of his followers in the movies were the the young people of India, and you know he reflects their aspirations earlier in the movies. So the same thing he had to continue in politics to make them feel uh, confident that there is a person out there who's thinking about us, and he reflects the aspirations of that segment of the population which is very keen uh, to have a different India. Yeah, uh, in terms of opportunities, in terms of uh, more broad-mindedness, cutting aside you know regional disparities, uh, growing to become a global citizen, and as part of that outreach program is what brought us to Washington D.C. That's wonderful, and and you know just for, so our listeners know, I've heard you described as the Tom Cruise or the Denzel Washington of of India filmmaking. Uh, of course, those are two popular American actors. You also mentioned that, it, if I understood you correctly, that your path into acting uh, wasn't something that you planned out. So how have you uh, been able to live uh, this dream? Because I, I don't know, right from my childhood, I came from a very small family. My father was a government employee in the police services. Um, Max, my family was looking me, looking at me to become a, a into police services. So somehow I could not finish my degree, and uh, I was uh, into a lot of yoga and a lot of uh, spiritual, my mind was going towards the spiritual realm. Uh, so I was learning, uh, I was into a lot of yogic practices. I think my family was quite uh, uh, irritated about that. And I said, you're growing and you're not doing anything. And I said, I don't know what to do. Then I said, why don't you try acting? Then I said, okay, I'll try, let me try. Because my family is in uh, uh, film business. So I just tried and someone liked it and that's how it started off. Um, but whatever I do, I'll be, I put my focus completely into it, onto it. That's how it went on. That's great. Well, congratulations on the success that you've had. We've touched on this a bit, but what are some ways that America and India can better partner together? Excellent. I mean, you know, like I said, India is still a country which is very open to having a very strong relationship with America in terms of trade. And also the fact that most of our young people have a desire and a vision to come and contribute in the universities here as well as the technology areas. But the newer areas of uh, uh, opportunities in India are really growing quicker. And uh, mobile communications, um, space technology, like I said about agriculture, and not to forget, you know, waste management and clean energy are some technical areas where uh, America has already advanced itself and we'd be happy to collaborate and, you know, get in people who'll be able to invest into new products and new factories back in India. So I think that I think these are a broad areas where we can collaborate. We've done in aerospace. We've also done in uh, infrastructure like ports. So, uh, you know, the opportunities are plenty. And, you know, we are, like I said, it's a, it's, it's a very democratic nation, which is not regulatory as it used to be, and very open and broad-minded in terms of doing business with America. So many of those areas that you mentioned, of course, are core to the free enterprise system mm -hmm. that, that both of our countries deeply believe in. Can you talk at all, given the size of the population of India, how that belief in free enterprise and freedom more broadly has lifted people out of poverty and helped them uh, to better lives? You'll be surprised to know that India has a population of a billion today. And, you know, both our nations are indeed blessed to be so democratic in their uh, systems. 
there's a lot of transparency. Uh, there's a lot of equality, freedom. This is something that we cherish. This is what the Constitution gave us. And all our citizens work hard towards uh, building up their families and the ecosystem around them. So I think the opportunities are there, but the relationship has to improve even more. We are, we are beyond a stage where we think of you know local area domination or wars or uh, situations which used to exist in the 1960s or the 70s. Uh, strategically, a partnership is very important between India and America in, in the Asia-Pacific region. And um, it, it, it's, it's incredibly rewarding for both of our countries to come together and push this partnership <coughs> further. You know, at a time when President Trump and China are going back and forth on <coughs> an issue of trade, uh, can, can you share how uh, we hear all of the contentious nature of what that relationship is? Uh, how is President Trump viewed in India and in terms of relations with this White House in particular? Oh. Let me start. Uh, see, what uh, the way Donald Trump is viewed in India is like, I think he's, whatever he's doing, he's doing it for his country. Though it will hurt the interests of Indians, or it will hurt the interests of other nations. Uh, but what he's doing is definitely, it's good for the U.S. That's how we look at it. Because that identity politics is uh, quite high on, uh, it could be seen everywhere. Right from Catalonia or from Brexit or anywhere, in all the countries we go and even within India, that identity of, you know, uh, some people who come all the way from other other places and they're able to get the benefits better than us and they're able to progress better than us, prosper better than us. And I think definitely that anger is quite common in uh, all over the world. Uh, I think uh, Donald Trump is representing uh, that part here. So, though it pains, definitely it pains. There is no doubt about it. But a part will understand. So it is a kind of contradictory uh, on this uh, issue there. Interesting. Well, you know, one area where, where Trump has uh, done things differently, perhaps from some of his predecessors, his use of social media, particularly Twitter, to talk directly to the uh, American people and, and people across the globe, frankly. I wanted to ask, because I just saw a report this week about how India could be <coughs> really the next significant area of growth for, for social media companies and technology. Uh, what can you tell us about the, the use of those platforms and how that's changed communication back oh, in your country? He, he, <coughs> Uh, he initiated uh, his brainchild recently um, from the party side. Uh, he started, he initiated a program. Uh, it's called Janataranga, it's a wave of people. That's the meaning of it. Uh, so how it went up, so I think you'd uh, better to explain it. So Before I get into that, I mean, you must know that he's the sixth most popular guy on Twitter. Uh, you know, he's got close to three and a half million followers. And he's actively followed. And what's uh, the handle um, for our listeners in case they want to <laughs> check uh, it's, it out? It's, it's Pawan Kalyan. At Pawan Perfect. Kalyan. At Pawan Kalyan. Uh, and um, this program that he just mentioned about the, um, in, in the party, we started a program called Janatharangam, which is waves, acoustic waves, as well as waves reaching out to people. And it was a knock on every door political campaign. But interestingly, we used technology. And all those knocks on the doors were on Facebook Live. So on a particular day, the president of our party, Mr. Pavan Kalyan, also visited the houses at 9.30 in the morning. And, you know, this conversation that went live uh, made people join this incredible revolution back there. And we had almost 30,000 videos on Facebook every day for five days. 30,000. And our social media reach uh, figures was just mind-boggling. We did 12 million in five days. 
and we had 396,000 people who uploaded the videos. So, so it was a tremendous uh, and, experience. Uh, and people are really, because this uh, technology really been making people to participate and they're able to Absolutely. be vocal or verbal about uh, what, they, what they feel. And uh, both a party ideology and, and everything, and we're able to leverage uh, social media in, a, in quite an effective manner. See, the biggest, um, uh, I wouldn't say the biggest, but our core strength is the youth who, who follow him and believe his ideology and his fundamental beliefs or values in life. And those are the ones who wanted to express their support to the party in the right way. And, and social media gave an opportunity for each of them to be part of that process because as a political party, we may not be able to reach out to every single person. Uh, even if we did, we could not have given them an opportunity to participate in the process. Mm. But social media allowed each one of them to connect with him. So, and end of the evening, he would sit down and make phone calls to, you know, whoever performed uh, beyond a normal figure, like 200, 300 uh, calls per day these guys would take, and he would call them and congratulate them. So, so it was great. It broke all the protocols. I mean, the regular political protocols, so which made them to be more, stay to be connected to, me, to us. So that gave us a, a lot of leverage. Uh, and I think uh, social media is going to be very powerful. That's really inspiring, yes. And you make a great point about social media allowing participation. Mm -hmm. I know the youth probably certainly really enjoy that. Are there any final messages you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? You know, I, like I said, this partnership is very important for both the countries. And we are here as a young political party to also continue the same friendship and partnership. And we're also here to represent our community because most of the community members today are feeling a little, uh, I wouldn't say upset, but... Uh, a little sad at the at the new administration, the new regulatory controls that came in about immigration and how their families and their children could get affected, especially on the H-1B visa regulations that have come in. So we are here to uh, support our community, give them that strength and confidence. At the same time, at the government level, we are here to make the lawmakers understand that this is a process that they also must respect and take it further. So from my side, I would like to say a lot of uh, cultural understanding should get deepened between U.S. and India. Because uh, uh, we call it as, because uh, America is, was discovered just to, they want to go to India, but instead of India, they discovered America, Columbus. So there is some connect uh, right from uh, the discovery of America. I, and all of us feel that uh, there should be a lot of uh, cultural exchange programs uh, is very needed before even to understand before business to hit, take it to the next level. I think a lot of uh, uh, cross-cultural understanding between uh, America and uh, India, because each uh, part of India has a very unique culture. So you cannot see India as uh, one culture, because it's, it's a multiculturalism. To understand that, I think each state should have a, uh, have a direct connect with the U.S., so to understand, to explore their own culture. And so America will have... Uh, at least minimum, at least 30 to 40 uh, cultural exchanges. And that would really deeply enrich the uh, prospects. In our own experience, I mean, when we talked with lawmakers in the last two days, the ones who had been to India were able to empathize and get on the subject real quick. But the ones who have never been to India would take time to understand the points that we were coming to. So it makes a great difference. I mean, once you know, we That's, have this exchange programs on a regular basis and people understand our nation and the culture, uh, I think it will be significantly better. 
Well, it sounds like a good uh, project for the Daily Signal. Maybe Ginny and I can pay a visit to you in India. I know my colleagues from the Heritage Foundation have already. So. We will look forward to India, that. India really, <clears throat> India really shocks you because there's a great wealth and a great poverty. At the same time, uh, people don't complain. And somehow they're able to withstand the pain and the tolerance is quite high. And still they don't want your good. They want their own good. And that's what India talks about. And even when Martin Luther King Jr., when he came to India... That's what he expressed. If the same situation would be prevailing in any other country, it would have led to a bloody war. And how come it does not happen in India? I think that's what uh, anyone can learn from India. Amidst all these disparities, how people are still able to smile and go on with their life and without a bitter bitterness on their face and without a single complaint. Yeah. I think that part, if you understand, this, understand the soul of India, it's very easy to, do, to deepen the relationships. That's what I like to have. Well, thanks to both of you for coming and spending time with The Daily Signal, sharing your story. And uh, to our listeners, encourage you to check out uh, the work that they're doing, and uh, we'll continue to follow it. Yeah, thank you both for uh, letting us uh, participate in this program. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, and I hope you reach out to India in your podcast, too, and we'll be happy to support that. <laughs> and we'll make sure it'll go. <laughs> A lot of Indians will reach out to you. <laughs> Liberals have pretty much cornered the market on 101-style podcasts that break down tough policy issues in the news. Until now. Did you know that every week, Heritage Explains intermingles personal stories, news clips, and facts from Heritage experts to help explain some of today's hardest issues from a conservative perspective? Look for Heritage Explains on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Would human extinction be a tragedy? That's the headline of a New York Times op-ed by Todd May. He's a philosophy professor at Clemson University and writes, quote, Human beings are destroying large parts of the inhabitable earth and causing unimaginable suffering to many of the animals that inhabit it. This is happening through at least three means. First, human contribution to climate change is devastating ecosystems. Second, increasing human population is enroaching on ecosystems that would otherwise be intact. Third, factory farming fosters the creation of millions upon millions of animals for whom it offers nothing but suffering and misery before slaughtering them in often barbaric ways. So I <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this one. Yeah, there's a lot. But in yeah, there. Daniel, are you for or against human extinction? Oh, boy. That's a really hard question. I mean, yeah. Or, or against. Oh, man. I probably lean toward against extinction, okay. uh, but I'm biased. You don't want to yeah, be firm on this. Yeah, I'm biased. Uh, you know, look, so I, th- I, th- I thought what was interesting about this is like the way he comes at the question. Like, you know, obviously nobody wants human extinction, but well, I think it's the way. Actually, I'm not sure that's true. Like in itself. Well, like, yeah. Like as an isolated thing, like that's bad. Um, but he i think what's interesting is like the relative value that he gives to human beings um related you know with with animals and the environment and everything um obviously all of those things are important the whole planet is important but i i guess the devil's in the details like ultimately do you believe that human race is more important than uh you know ultimately should take precedence over um you know, the animal kingdom or other things. And obviously like we want to respect the integrity of, of, of the animal kingdom and of the environment and all these things. So like, you know, don't want to disagree about that. 
Um, but ultimately, it seems like his argument uh, says that human beings might not be the most important thing about the world. Right. And I think it's interesting because he does discuss at one point in the essay how, well, yes, animals you know, hurt other animals. But he still sort of sidesteps that question, which is, you know, if human beings were to go extinct, uh, presumably some other dominant animal race, I don't know, I'm not an expert in this, lions or something, could wreak, you know, massive havoc on ecosystems on, no, they may not have factory farming, but um, it's not like they're going to be super sensitive to the needs of mice or whatever. Um, yeah, I think one, it does show sort of this idea that we're all equal, like a human being's life is equal to a fern and some rainforest life, um, which is very troubling to see that sort of equivalence. But also, I think it's just, I mean, I don't know. And then I'm not a forestry expert, but it does seem that some um, ecological environments do better when they're managed, um, you know, managed well by human beings. Yeah. So there's a really telling quote here. Um, he's uh, he, he kind of uses some analogies saying like if you had, you know, um, a, an art museum and you could save either the people in the museum or the priceless historic artworks in the museum, which would you save? And like how many human lives would you give mm -hmm. to save art, any art at all, if at all? Um, and so that's kind of thought provoking. And then he kind of uses that and says, um, just to be clear, so I would let all the art perish and take all the human beings. Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, uh, no comment there. Uh, so he says, quote, so then how much suffering and death of non-human life would we be willing to countenance to save Shakespeare, our sciences, and so forth? Unless we believe, and this is the key point, unless we believe there is such a profound moral gap between the status of human and non-human animals, note the way he phrased that, whatever reasonable answer we come up with will be well surpassed by the harm and suffering we inflict upon animals. Um and like, I feel like that's, that's where he goes wrong. Like he doesn't think there's a profound moral gap between the status of humans and animals. And right. so he's willing to consider at least the relative good of extinction. Right. I mean, yeah, as I said earlier. Where, like whereas if you believe in an absolute moral gap, then that's not even a, not even a, a something you would consider. Right. Like if you're essentially saying a fern's life is equal to a human's life, which seems to be a bit of the premise that he's operating under, or at least, you know, a chicken's life is equal to a human's life. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of interesting because, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen so much in today's world is, you know, this crisis of meaninglessness and the fact that people seem to need to numb themselves in more and more ways, whether it's through opioids or alcohol addiction or drug addiction or, you know, um, sex addiction. I mean, there's all sorts of ways in which our society seems to be numbing oriented right now. And, you know, I'm making a jump here, but it seems to me that part of this might be fueled by almost our self-hatred, <laughs> like this misunderstanding of our own inherent dignity as human beings. Yeah. I, and I would just note it, this kind of this kind of article seems like super abstract and super philosophical and like kind of just academic. But it's not, I would say it like when the culture at large begins to um, absorb that kind of thinking that human beings, which I think to a large extent, like uh, at least a, a lot of college student age people tend, uh, are, are absorbing it, mm -hmm. um, you know, believing like human beings are just kind of a leech on, on the earth, right. that kind of, that kind of notion um, that has real implications. Like when you, when you lose the idea of, of, of the, the human value and the ultimate human value over really anything else in the world, 
um, that has implications, maybe not today, but definitely tomorrow. Or maybe even today. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, between the addictions in society and the growing suicide rate, I mean, there are reasons to be concerned about how human beings see themselves right now. And also, I was just sort of struck by this essay, like, and I guess this wasn't his overall point, but, you know, there's plenty of people, you know, I have my own concerns about factory farming, you know, ecological stuff. Oh, yeah. there, there's room for argument, debate, and perhaps even, you know, reforms on these issues. Totally, totally. But like, obviously calling for human extinction. I mean, that just yep. uh, gets rid of the real issue here. It reminded me of Food Inc. Did you ever see that documentary? I did not. So <laughs> I don't know if uh, any of our listeners may have, may have seen Food Inc., but it's a documentary, I think it's over 10, 15 years ago. Um, I had to watch it in health class in high school and my high school teacher was super liberal and- he would talk, he would like give us MSNBC articles to read as homework, just to give you an idea. But uh, the documentary itself was interesting in that it showed how like some, there are some corporations that, um, you know, because they're operating in an incentive structure that's, that's really purely just profit driven. Um, there are some other considerations that they uh, might be ignoring and, um, so I thought it was just, it's a good, you know, it's, 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 it's whatever you make of the documentary, it's, that's definitely a consideration. Um, but maybe, maybe let's not say human extinction is the solution right. to, uh, yeah, you know, mistreatment of animals or, or something like that. Right. And I think, you know, this is one area where you can also sort of see the market beginning to act that, you know, people can buy, you know, chickens that were raised in, you know, happy pastures or whatnot. Um, yeah. So and yeah, that's there are ways to tackle it. Like uh, documentaries like Food Inc. that bring to light those things are part of that market process, right? People mm-hmm. might demand, you know what? I want organic food because who want who needs the corporations to make my food for me? And that's like, you know, good for you. Yeah, it's a free country. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.